Thanks, Austin. Love it if you keep your Bibles open, if you've got them there and your outlines out. Uh, welcome to Uni Church. My name's Rowan, if you don't know me. Uh, it's great to see you here as we gather together and think what God has to say to us. A highlight of the, the, the service each week should be hearing God's Word read. Uh, that is God speaking to us. So why don't we pray now that as we've heard God's Word read, He would help us by His Spirit to make sense of it and to walk away from hearing Him changed. Why don't you join with me and ask God to do that now? Lord, tonight we are again thankful that you, the God of the universe, would speak to us. We pray that as we think through what you have to say through your Son, through these collected events that Luke has brought to us this day, they would see your Son clearly. We would see what is at stake in these words and in this life. And that we might walk away through your word and by the power of your spirit, changed. Change us, we pray. Amen. Well, my name's Rowan. And one of my greatest fears in life is not the fear of heights, nor bright lights. The greatest fear in my life, if I'm honest, is the fear of missing out. FOMO. Who here has experienced FOMO? Knows what I'm talking about. All right, let me explain to you what FOMO is. FOMO is the fear of missing out. FOMO is that unstoppable force that keeps your finger scrolling on that mouse on Facebook. When you've got to look down, I think there might be one more thing I need to see, just one more page, one more story, because I don't want to miss out. I know I need to go to bed. You know, uni's starting in three hours. I need... (laughs) I need to stop, but what if I miss out on something and tomorrow when I get to uni, everyone knows and I've missed it. FOMO is a strong, strong force. It's a force that drives you compulsively to check your email. Do you have an email right now? How many of you want to look and think, what have I missed out? What if someone has sent me something right now and I need to know? Don't look. There's a far better message for you and it's from God. And he's just said it to us, so have a think through what he has to say for us. But my hunch is that FOMO is the very reason that we carry a mobile phone. Why have you got a phone in your pocket right now? Well, in case someone needs to get to you or contact you or let you know there's a party or they're going to a lantern festival afterwards and you want to meet up with them. If you didn't have your phone with you, how would they get in contact with you? Like a carrier pigeon just doesn't do it anymore. Can you imagine what the sky would look like? like, It'll just fall down. Mobile phones are helpful, but they're driven by FOMO. And my confession is, I I have this deep desire to not miss out on things. Advertisers use my fear of missing out all the time. They get me by it. I don't know if they get you by it too. Uh, A new model comes out, maybe a new computer. It does everything I ever wanted and needed, but even more than I wanted than last year's one. And so I'm like, what if there's something about it that, that I need? Suddenly a computer comes out with a touch bar. What's a touch bar? but maybe it will make me 10% more efficient. Suddenly, I've got this fear of missing out, this fear of of missing out on this good thing that the touch bar might do on a new computer that I never needed before, but now I'm like, I want this. I hear that the Adele concert is sold out. Then they release 5,000 more tickets. (gasps) I could get in. I wonder if it's going to be the best concert ever. I wonder if others are going to be talking about it. So I log on and I look and I'm like, oh, and Sarah's never been to a concert. And so I buy tickets because of my fear of missing out. 
See, the worst thing for someone with FOMO isn't finding out that what you bought was a dud. It's finding out that what you missed out on was brilliant. And then, well, I missed out. Today, we have before us a story of people just like you and me. People who are living with a fear of missing out. But in this story, there's a twist. There's a double negative. That if you see it as we go through, it will spin out your FOMO FOMO radar completely. You'll be like, what? No. But bear with me and we'll have a look at what's going on here. At this point in the story of Jesus' life, we've been following him as he heads toward the cross. And he's showing those around him what it means to follow him, to be a true follower of Jesus. And last week we saw a dinner. And these people gathered around a dinner table reclining with Jesus, these Pharisees, these religious bigwigs. And Jesus had made the point that living rightly depended on seeing him rightly. In other words, if you see Jesus for who he really is, then it will change the way you see the world and the way you live in the world. They're gathered together around this table. And at the moment that we gathered together, Jesus has been speaking at a meal pointing forward to a feast that would come, and then speaks in this passage around another feast, a a great dinner beyond death's door. And it's at this moment our little FOMO radars are going okay because we don't miss out on what happens. We're brought into the action, into the table around this man called Jesus, the most influential man the Western world has ever seen. And one of the guys at the table sitting there with Jesus after hearing all that he said pipes up and you're like, what's he going to say? Well, verse 15, the one who will eat bread in the kingdom of God is blessed. You ever been at a dinner party when someone just says something and you're like, what planet are you on? And they say some random thing and you're like, how does this kind of relate? Well, this is not like that because this man has actually been there and at this point he's summarizing what Jesus has said and he's applying it to say this, the one who will eat bread in the kingdom of God is blessed. Blessed is such a Christian jargony word. Really, blessed just means is happy, is prosperous, has has a long life. It makes us think through, where are we looking for blessing in life? Where is it that we're seeking happiness and prosperity and longevity? What needs to happen in your life or mine for us to live a happy and blessed life? What things pop into your head? Well, this man has been listening to Jesus, says this, the one who will eat bread in the kingdom of God is blessed. The one who dines, who feasts with God in his kingdom beyond death's door, that is the way to live a prosperous and happy life. This meal is what you want. It's something you don't want to miss out on. What's the fanciest restaurant you've ever eaten at? I don't know. What's the fanciest meal? Let's kind of hear from people. What's the fanciest thing you've ever eaten? Weird stuff. I don't know. What was that? Chicken feet. feet. Yeah, okay, cool. Others? What what other fancy things? I'm not making comments here. Come on, we're not going to laugh at you. What other fancy things? Has anyone ever eaten sea urchin? Show of hands. Oh, I got it in one. Oh, there's one at the back. What did you think? Yeah, sea urchin. It's crazy. 
I was at a restaurant the other night at a wedding banquet, and this guy across the table, this fish came out on the table, and he's like, I've got the eye. I'm like, yeah, you're joking. And he just grabs the eye of this fish and goes, oh, this is so good, and eats the fish eye. I'm like, what's wrong with you? <laughs> this banquet is going to be good. When Sarah and I were at um, Theological College, we were in our first year of college and we are studying and we were thinking through coming across to New Zealand down the track. We've been thinking about the, the options of where we'd serve and how we might be used. And a friend of ours um, decided to take us out for dinner before we came across on the first kind of trip to find out more stuff about New Zealand. Uh, he was a Kiwi and he wanted to take us out for dinner and shout us to this fancy place. And he was paying and he's like, look, I just want to bring you along to this restaurant. And so we go to this restaurant, he was a dentist, just in, in, in the perspective of where he's at, and it's this little Japanese restaurant, it didn't look like much, it was kind of quiet, and we sit down, and he goes, look, there's not really a menu here, they just bring you this kind of set menu, and you eat what they have, and we're like, okay, and we, we sit down, and the first meal comes out, it's like this massive plate, there's like this little tiny thing on it, it's like one little spot, I'm like, oh. But anyway, they match that with a wine, and the next course came out, there's like about 10 courses. The thing was, each course came out with a separate wine matched to that course, like, now, I'm a, I'm a one-glass kind of guy, right? In other words, I drink one glass, and that's enough. I'm fine. I don't need to drink any more. Any more than that isn't helpful for me. And I'm going, I can't keep doing this. Like, I just need to take a little sip and then let that go past. And it's kind of killing me because we're at this fancy place, and there's this champagne called Moe or Moet. I don't know. That's the... Anyway, this fancy stuff, and you just kind of have a bit, and you're like, I don't know, and off it goes back, and... Anyway, we get to the end of this meal, and it was kind of like, it was great. I ate sea urchin at it, and you know, like in this eggshell. I don't know why I was in an eggshell. It was a pretty amazing meal. The tastes all exploded together. Then we went up to the counter to pay, and I kind of got a glimpse of the bill. The bill for our three meals was more than Sarah and my return ticket to New Zealand combined. Thank God I wasn't paying that night. <laughs> I just couldn't believe it. I'm like, are you serious? And he gave them a tip. I'm like, what's wrong with you? There wasn't enough to tip them. It was... Well, this meal that Jesus is talking about tonight pales that last one into insignificance. This banquet is very different from every other banquet you've been to. It is the banquet to end all banquets. Not only is it put on by God Himself, not only has it been planned since the beginning of time... It's actually much more than just a banquet. In fact, the prophet Isaiah had spoken of this banquet way back before Jesus came, well before that point. Listen to Isaiah 25, verse 6. He says this, The Lord of hosts, host just means armies, right? The Lord of hosts will prepare a feast for all people on this mountain. A feast of aged wine, choice meat, finely aged wine. On this mountain, he will destroy the burial shroud, the shroud over all the people, the sheet covering all the nations. He will destroy death forever. The Lord God will wipe away the tears from every face and remove his people's disgrace from the whole earth, for the Lord has spoken. This is a phenomenal meal. The tears on their faces aren't coming because the McDonald's was horrible and the lights came up. <laughs> The tears are coming because he's talking about death being defeated. This is the death of death itself. The food is pictured here as like finely aged wine and choice meat. It's this picture of the good stuff, the really good stuff. Now, if you're here and you're a vegetarian, we love you, welcome. I think you've got a picture, I don't know, 
to me, meat for vegetarians is like mushroom. I don't know, you might have something else that's brilliant, but it's, just, it's like the, the best vegetarian kind of food you can get. And, and, and the freshly squeezed juice, if you don't drink alcohol, right? This is brilliant juice. The best juice you could have. You know, it hasn't been sitting for too long, so it's not fermented. It's, it's a picture of an amazing, amazing meal. But in this banquet, we get a picture more of the character of this God. He's a generous God. I thought my friend was generous. This is something else. This meal lasts forever. This feast is the death of death itself. The end of death. All our tears are wiped away. This is a God who wants to have relationship with His people. You know, even from the very beginning of creation, God is a God who wants to eat with His people. He always wants to feast with us. He always has and He always will. In Genesis 1 and 2, He creates Adam and Eve. He puts them in the garden. You know what He says? You can eat any tree from any fruit in this garden except that one there. You can have all of that and enjoy the goodness of the fruit of the trees together. You fast forward to the end of the Bible in Revelation 3, and he says this in 3 verse 20. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and have dinner with him and he with me. We have a God that longs to eat with us, to feast with us. His great desire is to lavish on us the things that he prepares and to see death itself defeated. And that's where this image is more than just a banquet. Death is gone. Not for every person, but for every people group on earth. It's an expansive picture here. It doesn't just include the Jews. You've got to remember God had given promises to His special people through Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. They were to become uh, Israel, the nation. And they were to see these, these promises of blessing, of, of land, of kind of um, fruitfulness that would happen, of the nations being blessed. And here we see that all nations are included in this blessing at this feast. People from every tribe and language. And there's no more tears There is no more pain, no more crying. This is the best thing ever. It is the banquet of true blessing, of true happiness. It's what Israel have been waiting for and waiting they've been doing. Look at Isaiah 25 verse 9 to see about the waiting that's happened. He says this, Look, this is our God. We have waited for Him and He has saved us. This is the Lord. We have waited for Him. Let us rejoice and be glad in His salvation. Seeing Jesus correctly means seeing that He is the God of this banquet. He's the King that brings in the kingdom, which is the fulfillment of the promises in Isaiah 25 of this banquet that He is talking about. That's exactly what Jesus says after His resurrection to the apostles and the disciples. Have a look at Luke 24 and we'll see how he, what He says about Himself. Luke 24, verse 44. Then Jesus told them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Now that's code word there, the the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. That's code for the whole Old Testament of the Bible. He's saying everything in the whole Old Testament of the Bible was written about me. I've come to fulfill that. Look, He then opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. He he also said to them, This is what is written. The Messiah, the King, would suffer and rise from the dead the third day. And repentance 
for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to who? To all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. The one who eats bread in the kingdom certainly will be blessed. Death will be defeated. Because the thing that causes death, our rejection of God, is finally dealt with. Forgiveness is offered when Jesus dies in our place. Our tears, our sorrows, our pain, our suffering are all wiped away. That sounds like the happy life, doesn't it? Now at this point, Jesus could have turned to the man at the table and he could have said to him, right on, right answer. You've understood me really well. Straight to the top of the class, old son. You know, you could, you could see what could have happened at this moment. High distinction. Like, you've got it. This is exactly the way to live. You've picked up exactly what I was talking about here. But he doesn't. He could have, but he doesn't. He does something that's even more loving than praise. See, merely knowing the right answers about the kingdom doesn't secure your place in it. You might know that God's banquet is coming and that it's good and it's expansive, that it is the end of death. But just because you know those things doesn't mean that you have entered into it. Having an experience of Jesus, having Him feel like He's close to you, sharing a meal with Him, sitting at His table, being one of His type of people, even being able to articulate that the Old Testament is fulfilled by by Jesus or recognizing Him as King or, or seeing that the banquet is good. None of those things are enough to render this man safely in the kingdom. Merely knowing the right answers about the kingdom of God does not secure your place in it. Here there's a warning for every one of us. Every one of us that thinks that we've understood Jesus, that we've got this, we know this guy. It's not knowing about the banquet. It's not dealing nicely with the king. It's not working hard. It's not even pleasing him that will give you entry into his banquet. Entry into the banquet is only possible for those who respond to the invitation. Entry to the banquet is only possible for those who respond to the invitation. That's not rocket science, is it? You're like, you're kidding me. It's pretty obvious. If someone sends you an RSVP to a wedding, you know what you need to do in order to go? RSVP. And for some of us, that's news. It's the one thing you can go home tonight. We need to respond. But that's kind of how things work. And here... It's actually pretty simple, isn't it? They just need to respond to the invitation. You want to get in the door, you've got to go. But Jesus knows how broken our compasses are. And so he warns this man and you and me here tonight. Look at verse 16. And you hear his warning. Then Jesus told him, A man was giving a large banquet and invited many. At the time of the banquet, he sent his slave to tell those who were invited, come, because everything is now ready. But without exception, they all began to make excuses. Jesus here tells a parable to give us a warning. To highlight for you and for me and for the man at this table, the grave danger that every single one of us is in. The danger of eclipsing the significance of the invitation. 
The invites to the banquet, they'd gone out. It seems they'd gone out a, a fair bit earlier. There'd been time, we're not told how, how long, but time to prepare for this banquet. Isaiah was even talking about it in Isaiah 25. And so this has been going on you know, 700 years, at least. There's been this invitation for people to come to the banquet, but the banquet has not yet come. But then, when the servant returns, with the news that everything is now ready, the moment everyone's been waiting for, the moment where your saliva has been welling up and you're like, this is great, I want to go and eat. All the people simply meet the servant with excuses. You're like, what's going on? Why, why is this? Each person, they don't come... Sorry, the servant didn't come to each person with a list of things they needed to do to get into this banquet. It's not like that they came and went, look, okay, now it's time for the banquet. Oh, P.S., you've got to pay a million dollars. That's not happened. He's come and said, guess what? It's ready. Everything is ready. Come. He doesn't provide any hoops to jump through or hurdles to jump over. Everything is on offer. And all that needs to happen at this moment in this story is that those who have been invited come. What could be so important that someone who had initially accepted this invitation to such an amazing banquet would now turn it down? Who would be so stupid? Let's have a look at what is so important. Verse 18. The first one said to him, I've bought a field. I must go out and see it. I ask you to excuse me. Verse 19. Another said, I've bought five yoke of oxen, just bulls. And I'm going to try them out. I ask you to excuse me. And another said, I just got married. And therefore, I'm unable to come. Three excuses. Now, do you notice, none of them are rude. You kind of understand them, right? Every excuse is polite to the master. No one's saying, stuff you, I hate your meal. Like, they're not doing that at all. They're saying, look, I'm sorry, I've got this other thing that I need to do, it's come up. But for every single one of them, they have an excuse that in their mind eclipses the significance of the king's banquet. There's something going on for them that's more important than this meal. Every one of those people that's invited looks like they hold kind of kingdom values, that they're seeking things that are, that are good. Remember they're Jews? And did you see what they were seeking? The first one is after a field, land. It sounds like the promises God gave to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. He's after land in this way. And the second one is saying, I've bought five yoke of oxen, bulls. He's got a business, prosperity. What did God say to Abraham? I will give you land, I will bring you great blessings... And thirdly, I will make your nation great. You have many, many descendants. And what's the third one? I just got married. You know, I'm busy doing stuff that married people do. And it's good. And that's what... It's just interesting that this is written to Jews. They look like they've got kingdom values, but they haven't let the kingdom prioritize their life. They're so caught up in their land and their career and their family that they lose the priority of the kingdom of God. And the magnitude of the banquet that is on offer. In this moment, what's going on is that their FOMO has double-crossed them. Things popped up that they saw as more important. That accepted the invitation to this banquet. And they're like, great, I'm going to the banquet. Then someone else said, hey, but I've got a block of land. And they're like, whoa, land. I don't want to miss out on that. And their FOMO double-crossed them. They didn't want to miss out on land. They didn't want to miss out on the career that was in front of them. 
on this, on this opportunity with their oxen that they've just bought, they need to go and check out. They don't want to miss out on, on their honeymoon with this, with this great wife that they've been given. And you can see how similar things can happen for us. When we've been offered a secure place in heaven, we see a place in Remuera and we're like, I'm in. I'm going to save up in Remus. It's going to be great. So close to transport. I love this place. It's like, it's got the vibe. Leafy streets, buses getting me to where I need to go. Oh, this is life. They're stuck in a FOMO black hole where they're missing what really matters. And the reason they're doing that is that their assets have become their idols. The good things that God offers have become the best things for them. And what is an idol? An idol is just something that you serve instead of God. It's something that defines who you are apart from God. It's something that you love more than the God who made you. Now, there's nothing wrong with property. Nothing wrong with businesses and work and family. They're all good things. But when your assets become your idols, you miss out on the best thing. Owning your own home, renovating the home of your dreams becomes more important to you than being at home in the kingdom of God. Where is your home? Work shifts from being a platform to serve God and His world to being our God and our world. The thing that we live for, the place we get our identity. You know, I've come across people that spend half their lives praying for the perfect spouse. They, they want to get married and they're desperately wanting to, to spend life with someone else, which is a good thing. So they spend half their life praying, asking God, please provide me with a spouse. And then God answers their prayer and they use the second half of their life. They use the spouse that God provided as a means to forget about the God who provided that spouse in the first place. It becomes about them and their marriage and their family and this little unit. And yeah, God's great too, but we've got a family now. Friends, do watch out for the cult of the Christless family. Not many of you have families yet, but a family that is not centered on Jesus is a cult. Jesus says, anyone who is not for me is against me. And if Jesus isn't the center of that family, then you're living for someone else. Or the pull of career. To quote William Taylor a few weeks ago when he was here, why do we work? You work to feed your face. That's what he said. We work so that we might eat. Now, work is good. We're able to do so many good things in the world around us. And work provides a fantastic platform for us to live as Christians, and to share the news of Jesus with others. But it's not the be-all and end-all. It's not why we live. I think study is kind of like work. Study is the place we go to kind of get ready for our career, ready for the job we're going to be able to do, to, to learn. There will be times, if your kingdom priorities are right, it will be far more godly to get a C plus than an A plus. An A plus doesn't get you into God's banquet. Accepting the invitation of Jesus and living for his kingdom does. Your relationships, are your work, is your home so important that you will let it eclipse eternal life? And the banquet of this king?
the kingdom of God that first appeared to all those who were invited, now has become a disturbance to their normal life. Kind of imagine it, you know, that they got the invite, they stuck it on the fridge. Yep, there's a banquet coming. I'm so looking forward to this banquet. Then all this stuff came up on their fridge, all these other things, and they kind of were like, man, there's just too much there. Oh, I've got this thing to go to, and oh, it just becomes a disturbance to their fridge space, to their social calendar. If that's your view of the kingdom of God, that has just become a disturbance to your normal life, then perhaps you've missed the point of the kingdom. It's expansiveness, it's greatness, who the king is. Perhaps these people thought they could be part of God's kingdom and not disrupt the goals and priorities of their, their comfort and pleasure they already had. As an aside, there are some who come along today and say, you know what, coming to Jesus, it's just, it's brilliant. Coming to Jesus makes your life just better in so many areas. Coming to Jesus, it's not about sacrifice. It's about all those things you love, but you get more because Jesus brings you more. They, they preach health and wealth and prosperity here and now. So you should seek more oxen. You should seek to have bigger businesses. That's kingdom living, they say. You should seek more land and more property that shows God loves you and that he blesses you. And that's what it is like to come to Jesus. You should have a brilliant family and be prosperous. And your, your, your business will grow and you'll have more oxen than you ever thought. But you know what a load of oxen are? It's just a load of bull. It's not kingdom living. It is a load of bull. Because as Jesus explained just a few verses earlier, the aim of living in the kingdom, the aim of seeing him right, the aim, the, the way when you see him right to live, is to live for the good of others, not seeking reward now. It's to let God raise you up and be humble <laughs> rather than come in and saying, I should be in this position of having lots of blessing. It's, it's, it's to look not for the here and now, but for when Jesus comes back and living for that kingdom, the age that the resurrection brings in, life after death, that's where it counts. Store your treasures there, live for what is to come. Following Jesus is great, yes. There are so many privileges and blessings to living for Him and letting Him rule your life. But if we're following one who suffered, do you think we're going to get away with not suffering? If we follow the one who laid down his life for us, do you think the Christian life is going to look like being the king of all? Putting Jesus first now means that we will live with kingdom priorities. It means accepting that he is our king. We'll see what that looks like in a moment. The point of this section here is that we need to sit tight with Jesus. And sit loose with everything else. Sit tight with Jesus. And sit loose with everything else. But there's something about this invitation that we need to understand. There's the nature of this invitation that helps us recognize how we enter into the kingdom. How do we accept this invitation? Look at verse 21 in chapter 14. So the slave came back and reported these things to his master. Then, in anger... The master of the house told his slave, go out quickly into the streets and the alleys of the city and bring in here the poor, the maimed, the blind, the lame. Bring them in. Bring in these people who are at the bottom of society. 
Those who have nothing to offer. This here is not some thoughtless response driven by rage. You know when you're angry at someone and you're kind of like, you don't don't want to come to my party? Well, stuff you. I'm going to invite everyone else just in case. And you go off and do that because you're angry and so self-absorbed. God doesn't need to have people at his party. It's not like that's somehow his, his desire in life. He's look, I need to fill my party and that's, all, that's what will make me complete. He was complete before the beginning of the world when he made you and me. He made us all. He's furious, yes. And he's furious at those that he invited in the first place. And I think that fury is poured out on, on Israel, who were the people who should have come. They were God's people after all. He had told them that he was coming. He had told them to wait. But verse 24 says this, For I tell you, not one of those men who are invited will enjoy my banquet. Too late. The promises that God gave to Israel, land, blessings, many, many descendants. It's as if these very things have been sought apart from God and not come to the banquet. For over a thousand years, God had been holding out his hand to this people Israel. Isaiah 65 verse 2 says this, Listen to God. I spread out my hands all day long to rebellious people who walk in the wrong path, following their own thoughts. These people continually provoke me to my face. He's invited them to the banquet, but when the time came to recognize the banquet was ready, they weren't interested. The Jews weren't willing. So Jesus uses this parable at a feast, at a banquet of the Pharisees to show the nature of the invitation. The invitation isn't exclusive to Israel. It's extensive. It isn't exclusive to your social status or what you've done or what you can um, provide to God. It goes to the poor, the maimed, the blind, the lame. There's people who can't repay you. The same list of people that we had to love because God loved us. Then when that is complete, all the poor, all the maimed, all the blind, all the lame, who have nothing to offer, nothing to give to God, when they are all in, he looks around and he says, there's still room. He says, go to the highways and the lanes, go out to all the nations, not just Jerusalem, but to the, to the back blocks of the, the Gentiles, and gather them in as well. And it's a fulfillment of Isaiah 25 again. The Lord of hosts will prepare a feast for all people, all nations on this mountain. The feast was always planned to be for all the people. If you look around this room at the moment, can I just a show of hands, how many people here have a Jewish heritage? Show of hands. How many people have got Jews? <laughs> Not one. What you are looking at is a direct fulfillment of something written 2,700 years ago. And God would bring together people from all nations to this invitation of the banquet. It's extensive, people from every tribe and nation. But I want you to look for a moment at the nature of the invitation. See, entry into this kingdom is not based on the values of this world. God operates here in an entirely different economy. So often we think, yes, I should be entered into this banquet because of what I've done, or I haven't done too many bad things, what I haven't done, or maybe because of my heritage or the type of things that I know. The invitation goes out to those who have nothing to offer. Entry to this banquet is free, totally free. It's not dependent on anything that is to do with us. Imagine rocking up to the finest restaurant in the city, 
that someone had said, look, say the owner of the restaurant had said, I'm going to invite you to my restaurant. You can eat on me free. And you rock up and you're like, look, I can't come up by myself. I can't just walk in with him doing that. So what you do is you go to your fridge and you open your fridge and you pull out the leftover McDonald's chicken nuggets you had from the night before. They've been sitting there in the fridge. They're cold, so they've kept. You've got heaps of preservatives in them, so they'll be good. You take the box of chicken nuggets, some of them half eaten, and you go to the fancy restaurant. You're like, oh, I brought you a gift. You're like, that's repulsive. That you would bring that and think that that would somehow acquire you a position at this banquet. And so often we come to God thinking, you know what? You should accept me because of who I am. Because I've got something to offer. Because I've been a good person. Because I've, I've followed you. I've done good things. That's offensive to God. We have nothing to offer. We haven't treated God as God. We haven't lived with Him as we should have. We don't even live according to our own standards half the time, let alone God's. And yet sometimes we think that we should get in because of what we have. Entry to this banquet requires that we come humbly. Recognizing we have nothing to offer. Recognizing we are the lame and the blind and the mute and the maimed. You can't earn entry to this banquet. You can't buy it. You can't contribute to it. It's such a foreign concept to us. Even the gifts that we get from friends and from family, you know, you get a gift, you're like, oh, wow, thanks. But underneath you're like, I deserve it because I bought you one too. Right? I can't believe you, you bought a gift that was way under the value of mine. Or it's a friend, and, and the friends look, I just really want to thank you for all the time and energy and effort you put into our friendship. I want to buy you a gift. It's not a gift, you earned it by being the friend that stuck by them when they were in a hard time. It's the world that we live in doesn't operate where someone has got absolutely nothing to offer and they get given everything. But heaven does. And the sooner we realize that, the sooner we'll be freed from trying to get there ourselves. Well, what is the right response? All that's required to come to this banquet is humility. The humility to recognize that we've got nothing to offer, nothing to give. And the only reason we could ever enter this party is because the king just lavished his goodness on me. He has offered me to come because of nothing I have done and all because of his goodness. You know, death exists in this world because we've rejected the God who gives life. If God made life and he sustains life, and we say to God, look, no offense, politely, I've got other things to do. I don't want to be part of this. I, I, just, I just don't want to treat you as God. Then we are rejecting the life that he offers. Death came into the world because we rejected God. The Bible calls that sin, falling short of what we were made for. But in this banquet, even despite the way we have treated God, he lets us in because Jesus has died in our place. He's faced the penalty that we deserve and he's offered forgiveness. Jesus says, in my Father's house are many rooms. There is space for all. Rooms much better than any architect in Romero could build. 
Relationships that are far better than any relationship we'll ever have on earth. Perfect relationship with God. Perfect relationship with his people. We've got to ask tonight, what's holding you back from running to Jesus? What's holding you back from giving yourself to live for his kingdom? What are you so proud of that you won't let go of? What do you think that you want to contribute to life that will be better than what he has and that will earn you a place? What's stopping you from recognizing the reality that we all know deep down? that We've rejected God. What's stopping you from humbling yourself before Jesus? Whatever that thing is, that should cause the greatest amount of FOMO in your life. Is it worth missing out on this banquet? For some of us, thinking that we could be acceptable for God, looking back at our past, that's kind of sometimes a thing that's stopping us from going in. We keep thinking, I can't come to Jesus, not until I clean up my life, not until I stop sleeping around, not until I do some good in the world, then somehow I can redeem my past mistakes and God will be like, welcome, come in. But if that's what you think, you've missed the horror of our own brokenness and the generosity of the God who is inviting you to his banquet. Entry is free. You can't earn it. You can't secure it. It comes by invitation of the king and tonight he has invited you. What about for those of us that have accepted his invitation? We've whacked it on the fridge in prime place. What is he saying to us? Don't you dare put anything else even near that thing on the fridge. Be so careful you don't let the things, the good things of the world eclipse the greatness of God and living for his kingdom and coming humbly before him. Don't you for one second put up on that fridge that Bible college degree you've got, Rowan. You spent time there saying, look, I know about God. All those faithful years of service and go, you know what, you're pretty good. You're a sinner who deserves hell. And that makes me so much more thankful that God, the true and living God that I've rejected, would show himself to me. So live for him. What does that look like for us? Well, the church, we are his servants. Our role in this story is to go out and invite people to invite people to the banquet, to say, God has invited you to come in. This God's heart is for mission. It's for the world around us to come to know Jesus. If someone's invited you here tonight and you're not a Christian, don't think they're trying to get you into their club. Don't think that they're, you know, they've got you seeing you as some project. They are just so convinced that this is true, historically, rationally, logically, that they're saying, I want you to see it too because I think this will change forever. And for us who have this news, we need to start sharing it. We'll keep sharing it. Humbly, not like we've got it all sorted, but like God has come to us and welcomed us in. Sharing with our workmates, our uni friends, our family. Let me challenge you, if you've come to New Zealand from another country, and you've been grasped by the gospel as you've come in here, you're being equipped by the news of Jesus, then I want to say to you, why not get more equipped to go back to where you came from, 
and share the news of Jesus in that country. Will it be hard? Yes. But the news is God has come in the person of Jesus and he has died in the place of every person in the world. Those people need to hear the news of Jesus. And what will you do to share that news? Friends, I want to challenge all of us tonight to see seriously this King, to see what He's offering us, what we have been invited to, and how it pales everything else into insignificance. And I want to instill in every single one of us the biggest FOMO you could ever have. Because to miss out on that banquet is to spend an eternity getting what we deserve for rejecting the life-giving God. And accepting that banquet, all it requires is we come on our knees and say, thank you. Tonight, if you want in, if you want to say, look, I want to trust you and serve you. You are the King Jesus and I want to put you in my life. I'm going to pray a prayer in a moment. It's not magic words, they're not you know, amazing things that go on. It's just coming to God and saying, God, I'm sorry. Sorry for not treating you as God. Thank you that you have offered me life, forgiveness, that Jesus died in my place Why I was wanting nothing to do with you. Please help me humbly bow my knee to you as my king. Help me to live for your kingdom, not for mine. And then I'm going to pray another prayer after that for those of you who do trust Jesus. And you might have just decided to do that, so this is for you as well. And that prayer will be a prayer that's saying, Lord, help me to not run to things that will eclipse the goodness of the kingdom. Why don't we pray together? Father God, tonight, we are so thankful that you have spoken to us through your word. We acknowledge that we haven't treated you as we should. Please forgive us. Thank you that Jesus came and died in our place and has offered us entry into the kingdom that we might have our sins forgiven and life eternally with you where death is defeated and every tear is wiped away. Lord, we don't deserve it, but we are so thankful that you've done it. Please forgive us and help us to place Jesus as our King. Let us come before you humbly, recognizing we have nothing to offer. And let us live with kingdom priorities, with our eyes fixed on what is to come, not to please ourselves, but to please you, the true and living God. And Father, we plead for all of us, for every person that trusts in your Son, that by your Spirit and through your Word tonight, you might so provoke in our lives the things that are likely to eclipse the goodness of the kingdom, that we might see them clearly. We pray you would give us the courage to recognize the misplacement of that order. And we ask that you would help us to put Jesus in his rightful place as number one priority of every relationship, every house, every career, every good thing. Father, we ask that you would so capture us, captivate us by this picture of your son and what he has done and what you've offered us in him, that we would live every moment of every day from this day forward for you. Father, we pray you would hold us
in your kingdom till that day comes. Amen.